the most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. The TTC subway upload to the provincial government is happening sooner rather than later. Transportation Minister Jeff Urich introduced legislation this past Thursday to upload responsibility for future Toronto transit projects, despite having reached no agreement with City of Toronto negotiators in ongoing talks about sharing responsibility for new lines. The Ford Tories say the upload is part of a larger bill that will also address road safety and challenges with bureaucracy. And the Getting Ontario Moving Act, they say, will ensure new subway lines are built quickly to get Ontarians to their destinations faster. On Wednesday, transit advocate Sheila Pisey Allen of TTC Riders, Minister of Transportation Jeff Urich, and City Councillor for York Centre James Pasternak joined Libby Snymer and weighed in with their perspectives. I think there's some more work to do. We have to discuss uh, integration and then connectivity with the existing system. Uh, we have to look at uh, funding sources. It's a very ambitious uh, plan. Uh, we have to look at who's covering municipal upgrades as they occur uh, during the construction process. We want to make sure uh, that the federal government uh, maintains its commitment uh, of uh, somewhere in the vicinity of, uh, of about $5 billion to transit. Uh, we want to make sure the other municipalities pay their fair share. Sheila Pisey-Allen, what is your take on this? The city is supposed to be at the table with the province, and there are supposed to be public consultations of people in Toronto, and that has not happened. Um, and I think it's important to note that this provincial budget cuts over a billion dollars to the TTC over the next 10 years. So, um, and that, you know, the plan that they've proposed is really going to delay the transit plans that are already in motion in our city, potentially by years. You know, they're tearing up plans that we have for the relief line, send it back to the drawing board. Eglinton East LRT, Waterfront LRT are gone from the map. This is not a plan that's good for Toronto, and we haven't had a chance to have our say. And, you know, the, the map that they've uh, I, won't, I won't call it a plan. It's a map that's been proposed. You know, they've said it's subject to change. And so there's there's no clarity about the map that they've proposed. But what we do know is that the relief line's almost ready to build and that they're taking away really important lines to eastern Scarborough, to south Etobicoke, that people in those um, neighborhoods um, are missing out on now. The question is, after years of suffering, are, are Torontonians uh, willing to wait even longer uh, to get hypothetically better transit? And, and that is the debate. The slashing of a billion dollars of funding to the TTC is also a really big concern because that money is going into maintenance of the existing system as well. So just across the board, this is, this is not a plan that's good for transit riders, and it's going to cause more delays. There's no question about that. I'll tell you something. We we are really not in the best bargaining position. We're 30 years behind on our transit. The guess is that we probably need $100 billion to fix this mess. And yet the province, the province says they can help. You know, look, they've got a $28.5 billion plan, uh, but they're only going to commit $11.2 billion. Uh, that's, that's a concern. We need, we need the rest of the money. And I don't think air rights... Uh, we'll cover it all. Okay, and I'd like to uh, welcome Transport Minister Jeff Urich. 
This is happening very quickly, uh, despite the fact that you have not nailed down an agreement with with the city. Uh, Why so fast? Well, uh, we've uh, come to a point in our discussions where we both agree we need to get these uh, uh, subway expansions built. Uh, The conversations are ongoing with the City of Toronto. Uh, We still have the rest of the upload to work on. But, you know, it's been quite positive. and, And, you know, Mayor Tory likes the way the conversations are heading. And we'll continue to work with them on this upload. Will you be able to use the existing scoping design work and whatever has already been done? Or how much of that will you be able to use with your plan? We plan to use as much as possible. I'm assuming that uh, the majority of the work that's been done, we will be able to utilize. The The spine of the Ontario line is the... Uh, the Young Relief Line, um, so we have a lot of work there we could be utilizing, and also with uh, regards to Scarborough, we're just extending it uh, two more stops to make it a three-stop, so we can utilize what they work they've done up to the first uh, subway stop. So we're going to utilize as much as possible, and I'm assuming it's going to be the majority of work that's been done. We need to have uh, legislation in place to enable us uh, uh, to uh, upload uh, the subway system once uh, we, we get to that point uh, with regards to getting the plans for for the new expansions from uh, the city in Toronto and what they worked, uh, stepping in and uh, in- ensuring that uh, that that legislation, if passed, is in place so we can pre- go forward, uh, will definitely make the project happen that much quicker. But in general, with our transportation bill we're putting forward, we're, we're going to make it easier to interact with administrative transportation uh, and service Ontario so that people are are spending less time waiting in line to get the services they need, but more time enjoying uh, enjoying life as they should be. That was transit advocate Sheila Pizey Allen of TTC Riders, Minister of Transportation Jeff Urick, and City Councillor for York Centre James Pasternak. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. After that conversation on Wednesday, Libby on Thursday delved deeper into part of the new legislation Transportation Minister Jeff Urich introduced, which he touched on when he joined Fight Back. The provincial PCs are looking at raising speed limits on provincial highways. It's not yet clear if the new speed limit will be 120 kilometers an hour or if it would vary in different regions and possibly be 110 kilometers an hour in some areas. Those who are in favor of raising speed limits say they're already higher in some other provinces, and this is apparently working well. The argument against is a logical one, that the higher the speed, the more likely there is to be serious injury and death resulting from collisions. Libby was joined by a panel of experts to get a better understanding of this issue with the government relations manager for CAA South Central Ontario, Elliot Silverstein, Charles Cox, Chief Superintendent, Commander of the Highway Safety Division for the OPP, and the CEO of the Ontario Safety League, Brian Patterson. The question is always the fine print. Uh, we don't want to see the uh, the savings in, in uh, life that we got by uh, uh, ticketing and, and towing at 150 on a, a 400 series highway. We want that to remain. Uh, and we also want to make sure that uh, uh, the test areas are uh, fair. I mean, I don't think we're going to see any time soon within the uh, GTHA uh, just because of the compression and the number of vehicles on there. And I know the uh, uh, the OPP uh, will be just as busy uh, dealing with uh, drivers who are uh, changing lanes without signaling and uh, 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 following too close and acting erratically and causing difficulty. So I, I, I think it's going to be livable. 
I would like to bring in Charles Cox. He is the commander of the Highway Safety Division for the OPP and co-chair of the Traffic Committee of the Ontario Chiefs of Police Association. So what do you think of this proposal? I mean, there's research out there that indicates that uh, whenever there's a speed increase, there's a, a likelihood of being involved in a crash, and it also increases the severity of injuries, injuries that are sustained by all road users that are involved in those crashes. So at the end of the day, these decisions are made by the Ontario government, by the Ministry of Transportation Ontario, not by the police. And it's our job to enforce the speeding laws according to the uh, the best interests of public safety. I know that your job is enforcement, but is your organization going to take a, a position on this? Well, I think that there needs to be, um, you know, I, I mean, we've got some of the safest roads in North America. Um, there may be opportunities uh, in certain areas on our highways across the province to, to run a pilot and to look at the option of increasing uh, speed limit on our 400 series highways because, uh, you know, they are uh, engineered and designed uh, to be able to um, more than likely handle speeds that are a little, a little faster. Um, but I think it just needs to be done carefully. And I think there's other pieces to the puzzle that need to be factored into the decision-making process, like the deterrence. I'm going to bring in Elliot Silverstein, who's the Manager of Government Relations at the Canadian Automobile Association. What is your position on it? Well, I think, you know, the, the pilot project that's going forward is, is something that I think that's going to be uh, interesting to explore because um, we know, you know, hearing from members that there are a number of people that will drive in excess of 100 kilometers and uh, understanding the the, uh, the perspective of the government right now, I think that uh, doing a small pilot um, is valuable to get to get a sense of things, but it's also an important reminder for for motorists to realize that there are that the speed limits are there in place, and that this is an important reminder to drive safely. So as we do this, we underscore the reminders to keep your phones put away, to remember to focus safely on the roads, and to navigate around conditions because um, different weather patterns create different uh, challenges on the roads. So really, at the end of the day, you know it could be a 10 kilometer difference here. Um, some may say they already do it, but really, what we want to try and reinforce here is safety throughout. Chief Cox, what would you like to leave us with? There, there's many factors that lead to congestion and it's and it's not just people that are traveling too slow in the passing lane, but it, also it's about people that are, are in the passing lane until they're less than one kilometer from their exit and then they have to move over through congested traffic in order to get uh, to get off the highway instead of getting over early and being in the right lane to exit the highway when there when their opportunity comes. So there's a lot to this issue. Um, there's a lot of consultation that I think needs to take place so that we do it in the interest of public safety, making sure that the uh, speed limits that we come up with are enforceable, that there's proper deterrence in place to ensure that uh, people don't take advantage of the increase if there is an increase and start going even faster than we know they already are on our highways because the data is irrevocable. I mean, speed is one of the most significant causal factors in fatal collisions and personal injury collisions on our highways, and in fact, in all collisions on our highways. And uh, so we really need to make sure that we take a look at this carefully. Brian? I think we're going to go forward uh, quite cooperatively on this in the, uh, in the insight, because one of the uh, advantages the minister has is he has access to uh, uh, enforcement uh, data from uh, all municipalities, but also uh, the OPP in particular. So we're going to get good data to look at as we make these decisions going forward. And Elliot? 
I think, you know, we have uh, some of the safest roads in all of North America right now in Ontario. And I think that what we do moving forward should be factoring that in. Um, I agree with what's been stated, that safety is paramount and education is key. That was Elliot Silverstein from the CAA, Charles Cox, Chief Superintendent, Commander of the Highway Safety Division for the OPP and the CEO of the Ontario Safety League, Brian Patterson. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. With five months until the federal election, a forum research poll conducted late last month found 37% of respondents would support the opposition conservatives if an election were held that day. While a third of respondents said they would support the Liberals, 14% like the New Democrats, and 9% support the Green Party. The Conservatives' support dipped from 42% the previous month, but remains roughly where the party has been polling in forums tracking since August 2018. On Wednesday, Libby spoke with conservative political consultant and president of Bradgate Research Group, John McEtitian, and former research president, Lauren Bozanoff. We have the Tories down uh, five points from a month ago. Now, that was the height of the SNC controversy. And maybe because that's dying down, uh, the Tory numbers are down. But we had them at 42. They're at 37 now. And their lead's been cut from 13 points to 7 points. So um, just the fact that SNC's not uh, in the news every day, I think, is starting to help the Liberals. The rate of the drop in the numbers for the Conservatives that you found here, is that because uh, this was more against the Liberals and Justin Trudeau as opposed to for Andrew Scheer and his personal popularity is not that great? Is is that what's behind it? I think so. I think it kind of indicates that the Tory vote is soft. I think people were parking their votes with the Tories while the chaos was going on with the Liberals and the, the two cabinet ministers who resigned and, and all that. And um, now that that's dying down, you're seeing the Conservative vote ebb away. And maybe this next, uh, this latest SNC, you know, escapade with, with the donations will, will, will re- help revive the Tory numbers. But I really don't see Andrew Scheer as, as you know, setting the barn on fire. <laughs> has an approval rating of only 34%, and his disapproval rating is 41%. And he's, he's not even in government. He's already got a disapproval rating of 41%. Uh, what what are Trudeau's personal numbers? He's got uh, 30% approval, so four points lower than Sheer. His disapproval, though, that's the big difference. He's at 61%, which which is huge. For me, when I looked at your numbers, uh, what was striking was the fact that... Uh, all the party leaders are well liked by their own people, not surprising, and they're not liked by everybody else. Uh, the, the the real shocker, though, was not only that uh, the prime minister, who, in his first term in office, and certainly the day he became leader, let alone won the election, everybody thought he'd get two elections, no problem. Uh, but the the biggest finding uh, uh, that spoke to me was the fact that you've got Canadians saying that they're a majority of Canadians saying they're worse off now than they were in 2015. So that's the, to to me, it's like whatever the party leaders have going for them, there's big storm clouds across the entire country. And that never speaks well for an incumbent government. John, what do you think Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives have to do to make their leader a little more appealing. He's in a situation that's the true of every leader in their first election, right? Uh, the majority of Canadians 
you know, aren't, you know, Lauren didn't ask the question about people, how, how much attention they're paying the politics. Cause we all know the answer. And that's like, they aren't right. People will pay attention when it gets closer. And, you know, when the campaign begins or maybe a couple of weeks prior to that, which on our cycle means not till after Labor Day, right? This is, a, this is thing isn't really getting for all the people already knocking on doors. The election for all intents and purposes isn't starting for months yet. Uh, we haven't finished the rain of spring, let alone uh, the long summer ahead. So it's a long way before the end. But but they, there are patterns, right? And that's where in these numbers, um, you know, Sheer can't afford to fall any more than he is. And for his guys, it's doing what they're going to do, which is like every front first leader. They're going to spend a ton of money on advertising. They're going to pound the pavement. And that's expected. The, the the challenge for him is to take advantage of any new scandal, like these two new ones coming up with SNC and Elections Canada, and not making a mistake. So he's got his uh, a big unveil of his climate uh, change policy uh, due next month, and that's the wild card. Is it going to be a great move forward? Is it going to be him falling on his face? How's that going to be received? So... He can absolutely make a mistake, and that's the wild card in all of this. John McEtition, what would you like to leave us with? Uh, stay tuned. It's going to be a crazy election campaign. And because of the fixed date, it, the, the truth is it's already started. Candidates are knocking on doors, and people don't know why they're there. But that's uh, part of the, the liberal legacy. You know, we've got these fixed dates now, so we've got a six-month campaign. Lauren? I think a sleeper issue is going to be climate change. And, uh, you know, we have floods in, in Montreal. We have floods up in Muskoka. Um, I think climate change is a sleeper issue in this. Conservative political consultant and president of Bradgate Research Group, John McEtition, and president of Forum Research, Lauren Bozanoff. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. There was a disturbing scene on the lawn of Queen's Park on Wednesday when one protester brought a fake bloodstained guillotine and then executed an effigy of Premier Doug Ford. Libby went straight to the newspaper, which broke the story and spoke with Toronto Sun political columnist Brian Lilly to find out more about this very un-Canadian incident. Do I think that the NDP condemns or supports violence? No, but I have a long history of covering politics where they have not condemned it. Um, you know, I'll take you all the way back to the Summit of the Americas riots in 2000 in Quebec City. And I don't know if you remember those pitched battles in the streets that were happening. Vaguely. <laughs> uh, where, you know, it was, there were 34, you know, mostly democratically elected leaders from across the Americas gathering in Quebec City, Jean Chrétien trying to get a trade deal, and... There was violence in the streets, and it was perpetrated by the left, by people that were close to the NDP. And from that time on, that was the first time that I had watched the NDP be asked, will you condemn this violence? And they, oh, well, we, we don't want to condemn anyone, and, you know, people have the right to protest. Okay, but will you condemn the violence? And they wouldn't. And since that time, since about 2000, and I've been at this game a long time, the NDP will flirt with the violent radicals and not condemn them. And, you know, look, 
there are radicals on all sides. Exactly. And, and to be fair, conservatives have been accused of, of flirting with extreme right and, and races. And Andrew Scheer, yeah. at the federal level, and, and Doug Ford, have both stood up and condemned them. So the NDP is not held to the same standard uh, because the media is not pushing the NDP to condemn this. The uh, the NDP itself is not condemning this, but yet Andrew Scheer and Doug Ford are forced to stand up and say, oh, those people are wrong, which is the right thing to do. Right. I mean, you know, hopefully they weren't forced to do it. Hopefully they did it because it is the right thing to do. If you've got uh, radicals on your side, it's called good political hygiene to stand up and say, you know what? I don't want to be associated with those people. They're beyond the pale. They're beyond what I think is normal political discourse. And someone showing up with a guillotine and then holding up a sign that says, may history repeat itself, chop, chop, while protesting Doug Ford and the Ontario government, what do you think they're getting at, Libby? I think they're calling for the premier's head at that point. Brian, what would you like to leave us with? There have been several new Democrat MPPs that have used um, less than parliamentary language, uh, they've been dropping F-bonds all over the place. They have used uh, a similar language. Now they won't denounce this sort of thing. When, you know, Andrew Scheer has been um, lambasted for, quote-unquote, sharing a stage with a so-called white supremacist, and yet when people sent me the, the, the photos of the, the person he was supposed to share the stage with and himself, he was actually more than a block away and two hours apart from this person. Didn't even, she spoke after him. He didn't even know that she was you know, speaking. And even if they, she was speaking at the same time as him, he couldn't have seen it. The NDP was out there while this thing was on the front lawn of Queen's Park. You need to be at least willing to say, I denounce that. Andrew Scheer has said he denounces white supremacy. He denounces the radicals. We need to hold everyone to the same standard. That's my point, is let's hold everyone to the same standard. Let's all practice good political hygiene. And if you've got radicals that want to use violence, that want to call for people to be killed, you know, shun them. They don't, they don't deserve a spot in our politics. That was political columnist for the Toronto Sun, Brian Lilly. Later that same day, NDP leader Andrea Horvath condemned the guillotine incident as egregious and said protests like that take away from the importance of discussing and debating the issues. Premier Doug Ford has since asked the OPP to look into the fake guillotine incident. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Eric in Richmond Hill phoned to vent his frustration about the focus on highway speed limits. There's better things to be done right now than playing with speed limits. And every time this government do something, it has something to do with signs. How much is this change going to cause the taxpayers to change all these signs. Nobody's talking about that cost. Right now, there's accidents every day, and the mayor and everybody and the chief of police are talking about doing stuff, and nothing is happening. Susan in Toronto offered her thoughts on raising the speed limit to 120 kilometers an hour on provincial highways. I drive on the 400 a lot. I can tell you right now that they are 
speeding. Like I've tried to catch up. I've just just to see how fast, and I'm I've gone a hundred all the way up to one forty, and they're zooming by me. I don't think them raising the speed limit is going to make any difference. I think they're still going to go. People are still going to just speed, and I don't think it's going to make any difference. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. All great calls, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Stephen in Parkdale, who shared his view about the recent slew of attacks on places of worship around the globe. I think the United States was founded on a good principle, separation of religion and uh, state. People want to be bringing their religion into their, their, their government, and then it's being taught at the universities, and, you know, you got Bibi again elected, propped up by, again, religious parties. You, you have to keep religion out of government. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightbackatzoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Michelle Saunders, Justin Eacock, and Kelly Robotham.